Welcome to our continuing study of the messy, flawed, and faithful life of David. Our assignment today is to look at two specific stories in the book of 1 Samuel. But I find that those two stories make a lot more sense if you put them in the context of a much broader section, a segment that runs 25 years, and it actually covers 25 chapters from 1 Samuel 9 to 2 Samuel chapter 2. So we're going to look at that this morning. And I've got to warn you, this story's got plot twists. And there's a spoiler alert, because some things that we're going to look at today are not as they first appear. So I'd like to begin first with a question. And this is a real serious question aimed directly at people who are between the ages of 12 and 22. And if you're outside that range, you're going to have to imagine that you're either back in that time or it's coming. And the question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's an annoying question, isn't it? It's frustrating, it's hard, and it's a question you would rather not hear. So it would be easy to think that for David, he didn't need to be frustrated because he knew what he was going to be when he grew up. When he was about 12, God's prophet Samuel came by and anointed him, announcing that David would be the next king of Israel. Well, if you're 12 and you hear that, I guess that just settles it. When I grow up, I'm going to be the king of Israel. Probably a bit daunting. But it was certain. God said it, Samuel said it, and Saul, the current king, said it. And for quite a while, that's exactly how it worked out. Everything was on track. And in fact, if you read those 25 chapters, for the first half or so, here's what happened. David is called to be a servant in King Saul's court. David calms the king and soothes him with his music. David becomes a national hero by slaying Goliath, helping Israel to defeat the Philistines. David becomes fast friends with Jonathan, the king's son. And David was so successful in whatever Saul assigned to him, his success surpassed Saul's. Saul made David a commander in the army, and David excelled, and Saul gave David his daughter in marriage. So you listen to that list of events, and you've got to think, David is on his way. The anointing was just the start of the path to the crown. All of these things confirm that he is the anointed. He is the chosen one. He is the king in waiting. Ah, but remember, things are not exactly as they seem. All of those things did happen, and then there was a plot twist. And in the second half of those 25 chapters, there is betrayal. So let's pause here for another question for you. Think about a time that you have been betrayed. When has the trust that you had in someone been completely shattered by what they did or said? It could be a deeply held personal secret, shared with someone in the utmost confidence that was later revealed without your permission. In high school, that could be about who likes who, and later in life, it could be about something much, much more serious. Betrayal could happen when there is a big, big broken promise, 
like someone walking away from their marriage vows. Or betrayal could happen when a friendship is ended because someone took credit for your idea or they scooped you using your information to sneak ahead and claim what was going to be yours. Think about how you felt. The despair, the pain, the anguish, even the desperation. And think about what you wanted to do about it. Get back at them somehow. Or maybe there was hope to undo what you know was not undoable. Maybe you were looking for them to be regretful, or maybe you were looking for some kind of explanation. So what happened to David to make him feel betrayed? Well, consider this. Saul realized that the Lord was with David. He became afraid of David, and David became Saul's enemy from that day forward, are the exact words from the scriptures. In his court one day, Saul hurled a spear at David in an effort to take his life. That made him a marked man, an outlaw, an enemy of the state. Saul hunts David in an attempt to kill him. Saul's daughter, that is David's wife, helps him to escape. So Saul gives her to another man to be his wife, taking her from David. And when Saul finds a group of priests that fed David and harbored him when he was on the run from Saul, when he finds those priests, he slaughters every single one of them. And twice, Saul gathered up 3,000 men to pursue David, intent on finding him and killing him. And this went on for years. It got so intense that David had to flee the country and take refuge, guess where? Among the Philistines, the people whose defeat he had led only a few years earlier. Probably not the most hospitable place to hang out. And he was there for 16 months. So imagine that you are David. You are anointed. You know what you're going to be when you grow up. God, his prophet Samuel, the current king Saul, Saul's family, they all recognized and told you that you were going to be the next king. And then you have to fear for your life for years because Saul the king and all of his army have turned against you and they are hunting you down. And somehow, God, who has said that David is going to be king, is letting this all happen. Can you imagine the feelings of betrayal, the anger, the desperation against Saul for his viciousness and against God for letting that script get flipped? Can you just imagine David clenching his fists and calling out into the darkness, this isn't the way it's supposed to be? He had become the anointed outlaw. He had become the chosen one, fearing for his life. He had become the future king on the run. So I keep referring to this 25-chapter story that we're tracking today. And in the middle of it, are the two remarkable stories that we're asked to very specifically look at. They are both situations where David finds himself unexpectedly, despite the heavy odds against him, in a place where he is only an arm's length away from Saul. And he has the opportunity to take the life of the king who is pursuing him. 
In the first story, David and his small group are hiding in a cave. Saul leaves his 3,000 men behind because he feels the call of nature, and he selects a cave in which to relieve himself. And what are the odds? It's the same cave that David and his small group are hiding in. And instead of killing Saul, David simply sneaks up behind him and cuts off the corner of his cloak so that he could later prove that he had had the opportunity. In the second story, Saul and his many minions are in deep sleep, and David and one of his men are able to enter the camp and get right to the place where Saul is sleeping. And instead of killing him, David takes his spear and his water jug so that again he can prove that he passed on the chance to end Saul's life. Now, as remarkable as that reaction by David might be, I find the dialogue that David has with his men to be even more fascinating. In the first instance, his team appeals to his sense of justice. They say, didn't God say to you, I will give you your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as seems good to you? Basically, they were saying, come on, you know how this, how this is supposed to turn out. Do what you think is right. And the opportunity to kill Saul provided David with the opportunity to mete out justice as he saw fit. And in the second instance, David's team appeals to his sense of payback. It's almost like they were saying, it's karma. What goes around comes around. In fact, their exact words were, God has given your enemy into your hands today. He had a chance for payback, and wouldn't that feel good? Yet in both cases, David chose not to kill Saul. And he explained himself by saying, the Lord forbid that I should raise my hand against his anointed. Somehow, in the face of the opportunity to effect justice or achieve some measure of payback, and in spite of all the nastiness that Saul had heaped upon him, David still recognizes that, at least for now, Saul is God's appointed king. In short, David's response to the opportunity for justice and payback was simple. That's God's call to make, not mine. So what can we learn from these two accounts of David's decisions? It seems that there are some obvious lessons. You might say, we need to be a bigger person than the one who betrays us. You might say, leaders should always take the high road. You might say that normal human reaction isn't always the best response even though it would feel really good to follow that inclination. And I think those are all true. I think those are valuable life lessons. I think they're important leadership lessons. But they apply equally to all people, whether they are believers or not. So the question that I kept asking myself over and over again is, what does the story of David, the anointed outlaw, what does it teach specially to those 
who have given their hearts to God. What is the treasure of faith to be gleaned beyond those obvious leadership lessons? And for me, the answer lies in that span of 25 chapters. If you sit down and read it in one session, beginning to end, it can seem like one random episode after another. And there are plenty of repeat episodes with battles and plundering and killings. But yet, if you reread it, you can see how the plot is connected with many, many twists. If, instead of reading it as a sequence of events, you read it as a study of how Saul and how David made decisions, that 25-chapter section takes on a whole different light. You see, in many ways, Saul and David were more alike than they were different. They both started from the same place. They were given instructions by God through Samuel that to be a loyal and successful king, they must follow the Lord. So they both knew the ground rules. And they both did many of the same things. They both led armies. They both led into battle. They both slaughtered the enemy. They both hunted for others. They were both aggressors at times. They both retreated at other times. They both loved their families and friends. And they both knew that David is going to be the next king. But if you read those 25 chapters, they were also very different in profound ways. When God instructed them on what to do, Saul often took matters into his own hands, especially when it looked like following God's instructions wasn't going to turn out all that well. David, on the other hand, followed God's instructions to the letter, even going to live amongst the Philistines. When each of them was not sure what to do, Saul tried a variety of options. Sometimes he asked God. Sometimes he asked Samuel, God's prophet, but he usually complained because he didn't like that advice. Other times he consulted a seer or a soothsayer. Sometimes he decided on his own. He wasn't grounded. He floundered when looking for the reference point for his decisions. David, on the other hand, always sought God's guidance. He had a single touch point. What is God's guidance? What is he directing? And when their backs were against the wall, what did they each believe in? Saul believed in the power of all the might that he could gather. After all, he took 3,000 men two times to catch one guy. David believed in trusting the guidance of God, even to the point where as a scrawny youth, he was only in his late teens, he went to face the formidable giant Goliath in public, armed only with a slingshot, after having thrown off the king's armor which Saul insisted that he should wear. And when they were each confronted with a chance to affect the outcome of a situation, Saul simply took matters into his own hands. David simply followed the guidance God gave him, no matter how improbable or how suspect that guidance seemed. No matter how long it might take, no matter what the personal cost, and get this, 
no matter how contradictory that guidance seemed to promises that God had given him earlier. If you go back and read those 25 chapters and look for the pattern, it's clear to see that Saul was devoted to imposing his will on the world. And David was devoted to seeking the heart of God. So in this 25-chapter story of plot twists and things that might not actually be as they first seemed, what is our big takeaway? The story of the anointed outlaw does provide leadership lessons for everyone about the choices leaders and leaders in waiting make. But I don't think that's the big takeaway. And there are lessons for believers about resisting the urge to impose our own sense of justice or to take payback when life somehow mysteriously gives us that chance, as it did for David twice. But I'm not sure that's the big takeaway either. For me, the real takeaway is made more vivid by the tribulations David experienced as the anointed outlaw. And the real takeaway is made very stark in David's resistance to the temptation he had twice to kill Saul. I believe that the real takeaway for us is this. Saul decided, sorry, David decided what to do by taking the actions that he believed were anointed by God. Saul decided what actions to take by believing in his self-appointed place to make the decision. Remember that across their lives, their actions looked a lot the same. They were a king and a king-in-waiting. They both ordered and ruled and plundered and killed and conquered and retreated. So it's not their actual actions that made them different. It was the source of their confidence and it was the foundational source of their decision-making. Saul carried on as a self-appointed decision-maker and David went for actions that he believed were anointed by God. So the next time that you find yourself in a situation where you have a chance to restore justice or where you have a chance for payback or where you get to decide how things are going to turn out or a situation where you get to decide who is going to be affected and how, maybe pause and ask yourself this question. Is my thinking self-appointed or anointed? Or to be more pragmatic, think of some other examples. When you're trying to figure out what to say to your child or a good friend about a very difficult topic, or when you're trying to figure out how to respond to someone who has betrayed you, or when you're trying to figure out whether to keep pressing on with something seemingly against hope, or when, insert your own scenario here, when you face any one of those situations, even more important than the words and the actions you are contemplating is this question. Is my thinking anointed or is it self-appointed? For the anointed outlaw, for the chosen one who was fearing for his life, for the king in waiting who was on the run, he always chose the actions that he believed were anointed by God. 
And he went on to be the greatest king in the history of Israel. And ultimately, his lineage was blessed by giving birth to the Savior of the world. Let's close with a prayer together. Our gracious God, open our ears and our hearts and our minds so that we can be discerning. Give us the spirit to discern between what is anointed and what is self-appointed. And give us the courage and the trust or the patience or whatever it is that we need to always choose to do what you anoint. Help us to be true to you. Amen.